everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm gonna get started uh, just so we have enough time for the presentation and some of the open house activities. Uh, we have a great crowd in person and on Zoom. Um, so thank you for joining us in this hybrid format. Um, I first want to give a shout out to the Black Box for donating the use of their space for tonight's forum. Um, incredibly generous and it's great that we can be in a location that's in our study area um, that really is kind of a model for the kinds of things that we want to see more of in Franklin Center. Um, so first, just to give a little bit of background, this is our second public forum. We held the first one in March and we've also done a number of focus groups, we held a community survey, um, done some more engagement with town stakeholders um, in order to understand um, a community vision for the Franklin Center area um, and also to think about what kind of zoning recommendations make sense for enhancing the district. I want to thank um, our steering committee members. Most of them are here in the audience with us. From the City Council Economic Development Committee, we have Melanie Hamlin, Glenn Jones, Kobe Frangillo, and Patrick Sheridan. From the Zoning Board of Appeals, we have Bruce Hunter. And from the Planning Board, we have Gregory Rondo and Beth Weirling. MAPC was initially hired by the Town of Franklin to be a consultant to help lead this community-wide visioning process. And the purpose of this work is really to unlock development that can support local businesses, help lead to new businesses, expand housing options in the area, um, create really kind of a vibrant, mixed-use neighborhood, um, and take advantage of new infrastructure that um, the district is looking I already thanked the Black Box, but I'm going to thank them again, <laughs> just because um, we're very happy to be here. I'm going to try to get through my presentation as quickly as possible um, so that we have some time for Q&A at the end, and we'll be moving into an open house format um, that will look a little bit differently whether you're in person or remote. Um, we'll explain that once we get to the end of the presentation. So everyone is aware we are recording tonight's meeting. It will be available on our website, on the Franklin For All website, also um, through Franklin TV. And all meeting attendees that are virtual are um, muted with their videos on. And we're asking if folks can save their questions for the Q&A portion of the evening. And at that time, we will ask people who are in person and also remote to raise their hands and we'll just call on people. Um, we might have to cut off the Q&A to make time for um, the open house portion, but any additional questions that folks have, we will make sure that we get those answered. Very generally, um, I think, you know, this picture sort of sums up the vibrancy that Franklin Center already has, and we're really just trying to capitalize on these existing assets and to think about what kind of barriers might be preventing the area from fully realizing its potential as a mixed-use destination. 
When we refer to Franklin Center, um, this is the area that we are talking about in particular. Um, so we are really focusing our efforts on the downtown commercial district, which is in purple on this map, and the C1 district, which is in light green. But we are also looking at um, what the opportunities are and what different kinds of options make the most sense for the single family residential form district, that's the pink um, area that takes up most of the study area. Also the mixed business and innovation district, that's the gray area um, to the left, and um, also the general residential five district. Part of why we're here, this is only part of it because you know the town of Franklin has wanted to pursue a zoning project for a long time, um, and this just happens to coincide with a new state law um, that was passed in the last year or so um, through the Housing Choice legislation. And what this uh, regulation did in part was come up with a new multifamily zoning requirement for communities that have MBPA transit in them. Um, it's called Section 3A, to be short. And this uh, requirement, in order to be eligible for sources of state grant funding, all communities will need to have at least one district in their community within a half mile of the commuter rail station that allows a minimum gross density of 15 units per acre by right um, that can go through a more limited review process through something like site plan review, but um, it would have to be allowed by right. And the density can vary across sub-districts, but does need to even out to about 15 units by right. And at least half of the district must be within that half mile radius from the commuter rail station. Part of this, what this legislation does is lay out the, the minimum unit capacity that each community would need to theoretically be able to account for. So um, in no way do we, are we suggesting or is the state suggesting that we need to build um, 1,800 new units, but theoretically this district would need to have a maximum capacity that was fully built out um, for about 1,800 units. And so this is just kind of framing some of our thoughts. Um, this is not the only reason why we're doing this project, but these sources of state funding are really important for Franklin, so we're trying to be cognizant of what kind of recommendations and different proposals will allow the town to comply. We held a community survey. We got great responses. Over 650 people filled out the survey, um, and the highest priorities that came out of that process were to support local business, create opportunities for new businesses, and to provide new public spaces where people can sit and gather. We asked people what kinds of uses, both housing types and land uses they thought would make sense in each of the five districts that are in our study area. And um, survey participants felt that mixed use development made the most sense for the downtown commercial, commercial one, and mixed business innovation districts. Um, single family made the most sense for the single family residential four district and different sorts of mid-density housing options, some smaller multifamily, um, duplexes, triplexes, et cetera, made sense in the general residential five district. In the commercial district, in the downtown commercial district, the most popular responses were retail shops, restaurants and bars, art galleries, um, 
Also, there was priority for offices, service-related businesses, grocery stores, and fitness slash gym amenities. In terms of density, um, we asked people if they felt like each of the districts could, uh, could support more people or if it really was kind of built out and has as many people as um, people think should be in those districts. And uh, generally, folks felt like the DC and the C1 districts, as well as the mixed business innovation district, could and should have more people in greater density, whereas they felt that the density in the general residential five and single family residential four districts was just about right. There was a strong preference for traditional style buildings in the downtown, though some feel that design is the most important thing, um, and it's more important than what the style actually ends up being. Parking is definitely important, but people generally feel that they would rather prioritize walkability over um, being able to park immediately in front of their destination. And we also asked people um, if they thought we were including the right locations in our study area. And the overwhelming majority said that we were, so that's good. This is just a word cloud that um, came from all the words that we asked people to describe what their vision for the future of downtown Franklin would be. Um, and so obviously the biggest words are the ones that had the most responses. So things that we heard a lot were walkable, parking, vibrant, accessible, diverse, restaurants, community. From here, we came up with a draft vision for Franklin Center. I'm not gonna read through it right now because um, we will show it in the boards that are during the open house period and I wanna make sure that everyone can read this carefully, but this is sort of an amalgamation of all the community engagement we heard, trying to touch on the different priorities of this process. And generally, the hope is that all of our recommendations that we put forward align with this vision. Very generally, the approach to rezoning that we are recommending at this point, though obviously we want to get people's opinions on it to see if we are on the right track, um, is to create, we're recommending the creation of a Chapter 40R Smart Growth Overlay District for the immediate downtown area that would try to balance some density um, while also ensuring high quality design. We are considering a supplementary townwide affordable housing requirement. Um, the 40R Smart Growth District requires a minimum of all units to be 20% affordable. So trying to think about what that, what affordability could look like um, in other areas of the district. We're looking at some land use permitting changes to the base zoning districts to better incentivize the kind of commercial uses that folks want to see and also housing types. Suggesting some programming to help manage parking and support um, business and property owners, and also thinking about some additional incentives for really good, outstanding projects that might come up. So like I mentioned, the first recommendation is around establishing a 40R Smart Growth Overlay District with design standards that includes properties in the downtown commercial, commercial one, and general residential five districts. This legislation, um, this is a program that has been um, created by the state a number of years ago to encourage 
generally dense residential and mixed-use zoning that includes a minimum percentage of affordable housing and it's located close to public transit, hence um, the smart growth phrase. Densities must be eight units per acre for a single family, 12 units per acre for a townhouse, or 20 units per acre for a condominium and apartments. So as you can see, it does sort of line up with that um, Section 3A NFTA requirement that we're thinking about. And projects have to be developable as of right. However, uh, the town can create very detailed design standards that would specify exactly what those projects must adhere to. And there are a number of financial incentives associated with adopting a 40-hour smart growth overlay district. There's an initial one-time payout that depends on the projected net increase of units. And then the town would get an additional bonus payment for every new unit created. And also there's some eligibility for um, more preferential um, consideration when the town applies for other grants, um, including funding for new school buildings. So the zoning itself for 40R district would be quite detailed, um, would say what kind of uses are allowed, what uses are prohibited, what those dimensions should be, what parking is required, how much affordable housing, what, it, what the plan approval procedure would look like, and also um, the, the, the planning board who would presumably be um, overseeing any applications under the zoning could waive certain requirements, um, particularly I think for really high quality projects that are providing community benefits like open space, um, rehabbing a historic property, et cetera. And then as I mentioned, detailed design standards kind of make sure that even if a project is allowed as of right, it still is adhering to all these things that we say um, we want it to look like. So, both architectural styles, but also you know, really nitty gritty down to the materials, the types of windows and doors, the lighting, um, you know, landscaping, it really can run the gamut. Um, and the planning board would have the discretion to deny a project if it wasn't meeting these standards. As I mentioned, this would align um, fairly well with the Section 3A requirement um, as an MBTA community. and. Like I said, um, the planning board could deny it if it wasn't meeting both the design standards and any other regulations associated with that zoning. What a 40-yard district can do is to really send a message to developers. They're generally aware of this program and it says pretty clearly that Franklin wants um, development in this area and it also sets clear standards for them to follow. It can be structured in a way that variances um, are not necessarily needed, which creates more certainty for developers um, and makes projects more likely to happen. And the funding that the town would get from the payments could be used to fund other programming, like public amenities or a facade and grant program, which we'll talk about later. Uh, approximately 40 communities in Mass have already adopted these districts, and just a handful um, that I'll name include Reading, Northampton, Natick, Haverhill, Easton, Newburyport, Belmont, Westboro, and more. And these are just a few projects that were permitted under uh, the 40R zoning. This is in Reading, the postmark building. It's the conversion of an old post office with um, additional housing added. This is Village Hill in Northampton. 
This is Westboro Village. And this is not um, in a 40-hour district. This is right here in Franklin. Um, but this just gives some perspective that this is a this is a property that has a density of 20 units per acre. There's about 20 units in this building, and the property is almost exactly one acre. Recommendation two is around this more town-wide affordable housing policy. What inclusionary zoning essentially does, it sets a requirement for the minimum numbers of units in a project that need to be affordable. Um, and this percentage usually ranges somewhere between 10 and 20%. And um, the town can specify what trigger would um, be required to provide these units. And usually that's somewhere between five and 10. Um, in lieu of creating new units, a number of municipalities will also set up payment and loop system where if a unit isn't provided, a somewhat equal amount of funding would then go towards the Franklin Affordable Housing Trust and that can be spent on creating new affordable housing in Franklin. This is meant to, um, you know, just create additional opportunities for new affordable housing. We know that there's quite a bit of need um, for folks to move to the community, stay in the community across different age groups. And um, generally, affordable housing requires a really large subsidy to make happen. That's either coming from a developer or coming from the government. Um, and in order to help fill that gap between what an affordable unit would be priced at and what um, a market rate unit would go for, some places will allow density bonuses that can help offset the cost. Because generally, if you could produce a few more units, that can pay for um, that subsidy that's needed to make a unit affordable. The next recommendation is around creating a specific uh, definition in the zoning bylaw for mixed use development and allowing this to use by right in the downtown commercial and commercial one district and potentially by special permit in the mixed business innovation and residential five districts. Right now, the bylaw doesn't include a definition for mixed use both residential and commercial uses are defined separately. And um, basically, in order for a project to happen as of right, both residential and commercial uses would need to be allowed. And this can create some undue confusion. Um, and uh, right now, uh, mixed-use buildings are technically allowed in the downtown commercial district and by right, or sorry, and by special permit in the commercial one district. Um, and generally, the reason why we want to make it easier um, to understand what mixed use is and to build it is because that's really what people are telling us that they want to see, um, especially in the downtown core. Um, most folks indicated that in the DC, C1, and MBI districts, mixed use buildings were the type of housing that they wanted to see with commercial uses on the ground floor. And currently, the MBI district doesn't allow mixed use at all, but it might be a good option to create a special permit process for that if there was a really good project that made use of some of those buildings in that district. Um, and theoretically, the planning board or the ZBA, whoever's regulating this, um, could decide how much of that uh, property needs to be utilized for commercial if they wanted to make sure that it wasn't you know, all becoming residential. The next recommendation is to consider requiring a special permit for first floor offices and personal service related businesses in the downtown commercial districts in order to incentivize some of the uses that people have identified that 
they want to see more of and ones that really can help um, create interactive storefronts where people want to stop and enter. These are places like retail shops, restaurants and bars, art galleries, craft maker spaces. Um, currently, there's a lot of service-related businesses like salons, um, eyeglass stores, tailors, and also offices um, that currently are on the ground floor of commercial and mixed-use buildings on some of the main streets in downtown Franklin. And those disease uses, as their name implies, provide great services. They don't do much to activate the street and really draw visitors to the downtown. They don't necessarily make it, um, they're not necessarily destinations. And so one potential way to uh, incentivize some of those more vibrant uses is that those uses could be allowed by right um, all the time, whereas uses that aren't as pedestrian-friendly would require a special permit if they were on the first floor. But if they were above that, um, on the second floor, any other floor, that would be allowed by right. And when a use becomes a special permit, if it's already by right, there's no change for those existing businesses that are there, nothing, they're not penalized for anything, but any new proposal would require um, zoning relief. Our next recommendation is around creating a new definition for three-family housing and allowing this by right in the commercial one and general residential five district and potentially by special permit in the single-family residential four district. Right now, multifamily needs anything more than two units, so a three-unit building is considered in the same way that a 30-unit or 100-unit building is. So um, allowing three families by right in a few of the districts could enable these typologies in areas um, where buildings at a higher density might trigger that 40R um, district process if the town were to go that route. Um, and allowing three families by special permit in the single family residential four district is really trying to enable and legalize this use that already exists in a lot of places. Um, there's already a number of three family homes. Most of them were constructed before zoning was ever created. Next, uh, to consider allowing single family uses by special permit instead of by right in the commercial one district. We heard people say that the area can and should have greater density, and given you know, this desire, the town might want to consider allowing single-family homes, which are really the least dense option that exists, by special permit rather than by right. Um, right now, the DC district doesn't allow single-family at all, um, and again, this wouldn't impact any existing properties, but um, if a landowner wanted to convert, say, a duplex to a single-family, that would require um, a special permit, and um, if they wanted to just build a new single family on an empty parcel in that district, it would also require that. The next definition is around creating new, or sorry, the next recommendation is around creating a new definition for accessory dwelling units, also known as ADUs or in-law apartments, and allow them by right on single family parcels in the general residential five and single family residential four districts. Um, I just wanna preface that this is also something that could potentially work in other districts outside the study area, um, but that's just our focus for this process at this time. And these accessory units could be either attached to the main building, detached, Maybe someone wants to convert a garage or a carriage house to a small one-bedroom apartment, 
and they can really be done in a way that they match the existing context and don't really see, they seemingly don't really add a lot of um, density to an area. And these can be an option to help homeowners stay in their home if they're able to generate some additional revenue from renting out a unit. And they also are a really good typology for um, seniors and folks with disabilities because it can give them independence um, and have their own space, but still be connected to family or caregivers um, that could help provide them with other services. Right now, ADUs are technically allowed by right in the general residential five district and allowed by special permit in the DC, C1, and single family residential four districts. Um, right now, it's not a specific definition for ADUs. They're referred to as two-family um, by conversion. And because there's not really this clear definition, not clear guidance for regulating ADUs, people might not even be aware that their property would be eligible. Um, and so we're also thinking that allowing ADUs by right in single-family residential four district could allow for some of these very subtle increases in density without having any impact on the character of single family neighborhoods. Our next recommendation is around establishing a shared parking program for the town owned parking lots in Franklin Center. And this could also be an opportunity to work with the owners of private lots too. We heard a lot during this process that people are concerned that there's not enough parking or they can't find parking when they need it. And some people feel like this is a reason why there shouldn't be more density in the district. Um, but at the same time, people also really want to prioritize walkability. And they indicated that they would be fine with walking a couple minutes from a parking space to their destination. Um, so one thing we've considered is establishing a program um, to maximize the use of town-owned lots and you know, potential privately owned lots like the Rockland Trust lot, um, just quite big. And this would essentially allow uh, residents in some of these units in the downtown to utilize parking spaces in the town owned lots at night when those spaces would otherwise be empty um, because businesses aren't open. There's about 130 parking spaces in the downtown between the three lots. And these would still remain prioritized for commuters and commercial uses during the day, but there would be set hours by which people could park there overnight. And um, generally, it would make sense to establish a kind of formal permitting program for this so that Franklin is able to track the number of um, vehicles that are utilizing this program. And obviously, if it's you know running close to capacity numbers, scale it back. So it could be kind of a flexible way to um, utilize parking without having to build more. Our next recommendation is to establish a facade improvement program for small businesses and property owners in the downtown. We heard a lot that um, a few buildings could use some sprucing up and that there's sort of a perception, at least at night, that um, areas of the downtown aren't safe, even though they are, sorry. <laughs> um, and so we are thinking about creating a program to provide either loan or grant funding to small businesses or property owners to um, 
help improve some of their buildings, like new signage, awnings, etc., and potentially funding this program through payments that came in through the 40R district or um, in lieu fees that could come from an inclusionary zoning program. This next recommendation um, relates to a fairly new program that the state has set up, um, the municipal vacant storefront district um, designation, and essentially it can provide assistance from the state to aid small business owners to move into vacant storefronts. A number of people noted that there's a challenge with some vacant storefronts in the downtown. This is partly because it costs a lot to rent these spaces, and that makes them unaffordable, especially to small businesses. Um, so we're trying to find ways that might incentivize some of those desired commercial uses in Franklin Center. Um, we know that filling these vacancies will go a long way in terms of vibrancy, but also supporting local development and tax revenue. So this program that we're looking at, it was created in 2018 to encourage this, um, you know, to encourage occupancy of vacant storefronts. And essentially the way it works is that the town would apply to be designated, um, to designate an area as a certified vacant storefront district. And then if they receive that designation, a business or an individual can apply to the state for tax credits of up to $10,000 to lease and occupy that vacant storefront. Municipalities must provide um, some matching funds, and um, to date, about 16 communities have been designated. And then our last recommendation is around utilizing tax increment financing for new businesses and development, specifically that provide really outstanding community benefits. Prioritizing projects in the Smart Growth Overlay District, um, but not only looking in that district if there were to be a really good project proposed elsewhere. The way tax increment financing works is that it basically utilizes tax increments, which is the difference between the current assessed value of a property and the assessed value later on after the district improves, infrastructure improves, um, and property values increase. And essentially, the assessor would calculate the tax um, that would come from the added value of new construction and could then grant property tax exemptions to landowners of up to 100% of that tax increment for a set period. And this helps provide upfront benefits to developers and can help fund construction costs. And obviously, um, you wouldn't want to create a TIF on every single project because the town is reliant on property taxes to fund the local budget. But I think for some really special circumstances where a business is bringing great community benefits to Franklin Center that might not be able to come otherwise, it could be a good option. So we've heard that people want to see a brewery, a grocery store in the downtown, for the movie theater to come back. Um, and those could be all examples or it can be something housing related that has um, you know, substantial community benefits like public open space or more affordable housing. And Franklin has experience using TIF. Um, they've used it about four times in the past, but those have all been in um, the industrial districts. Um, it's never been utilized right in the downtown. So now we're gonna have some time for Q&A and um, we'll probably do it for about 30 minutes so we have time to do some of the open house activities. 
So um, if you are on Zoom, if you could use the raise hand function, so Sasha, who's there, can get your attention. And if you're attending in person, you could physically raise your hand. And we'll just plan on going back and forth between Zoom and um, in person to answer questions. Do you want to come up to the microphone? Doing a great job. <laughs> John Barris, Colloquian Road. I've got two quick questions. What is deed restricted affordable housing? What, what does that mean? Great question. Um, so, any affordable housing that um, generally is subsidized, meaning that money is coming from a, a private developer, from, coming from the government in order to say that a unit has to be affordable, a deed restriction. Um, that is associated with any property that you could own, you could put a deed restriction on it, and essentially says that that unit has to be designated affordable. It can only be rented or sold to someone who's considered low income for however long that deed restriction is. So sometimes they're a couple decades, usually around 30 years, and sometimes they're forever. Um, and they're really the best way to make sure that affordable housing remains in the community because they're not subject to you know the whim of the market, so they can't have a huge rent increase. It would have to be um, in line with the numbers that the federal government sets for what people's income has to be, the most you could charge for those units, etc. Okay, thank you. What is the motivation uh, for the state of Massachusetts for Franklin to create this zone in the downtown core? What's the, that for that? Do you mean the 3A district, the like the MBTA? Um, so that was it for the state. Um, I think just trying to promote more, I mean, I think Baker's administration has been very vocal about the need for more housing. Because um, part of the reason why housing is so expensive is because there's just not enough supply to meet the demand. So that's the big reason. I think that's the main. And even though it's not in the downtown core, what were the four past TIF projects in the industrial area? I'm just curious if they've worked out. Um, can someone, I'm not sure that by name. Is there Brian? <laughs> so, yeah, Brian Turner, planning director. Um, the first one was back in 2006, and it never went, uh, worked out, so I'm not going to count that one. Uh, Tegra Medical uh, in Forge Park was the first one that I was involved with. Uh, we did cold, uh, cold, chain. cold chain technologies, right, that, exactly. And then uh, Hamilton, uh, Hamilton there are actually three in the industrial parks, they're all great companies, so it's worth uh, keeping uh, them happy. Then many other times in the past where we negotiated got to a certain point and then I realized that they didn't need to stay in town. Um, Sasha, do you want to call yes. Before um, we call on Lily, I just want to note that um, we do have somebody joining on the phone. If you are joining on over the phone, click star 9 to raise your hand and star 6 to unmute. Again, that's star 9 to raise your hand and star 6 to unmute. 
And just for the folks who are joining on Zoom, you should see a raise hand button at the bottom left of your Zoom screen. So where your microphone is, there should also be a little hand um, icon at the bottom of your Zoom screen. If you're not seeing that there, click on participants, hover over your own name, and you should see a blue raise hand button that appears. Um, and I'm going to invite Lily to unmute. Which Lily, Sasha? Uh, whoever the Lily is who has your hand raised, you are unmuted right now. Oh, and just a note, um, I think we have a number of Lilies that are in the meeting just because of, of registration. <laughs> Link that one out. So um, if your name shows up as a Lily and that is not actually your name, you can, um, if you hover over your screen, um, there should be three little dots that you can click and you can rename yourself. So that might be helpful, especially if you wanted to um, ask a question so we don't, um, so we know what everyone's names are. So the Lily Rivera who has your hand raised right now, you are on mute. Okay, um, I think we can move to the next person. This person muted themselves. Okay, are you calling someone or is it like someone from the audience? We do not have any other hands. Oh. hands. All right, is there anyone else in the audience? Okay, you want to go with if you can, just so the folks on the Zoom can hear. Hi, Mike Bradko. I'm, I'm curious, as I look at all these recommendations and you can picture the debts, mixed-use development, uh, you mentioned in the survey, in a grill that 650 people mm -hmm. applied, but when, according to your own survey, the general residential five and the single family four, people like me that replied said, we don't want more density there. We're fine with it in the downtown commercial, uh, the C1 and the MBI area. But when I look at these recommendations, it, to me it seems like we're gonna get it whether we want it or not. So I'm really concerned that a lot of these recommendations put something in place that is going to lead to a density that is not what I think most of the people reply to survey. So um, the single family district, the only um, additional use that we're suggesting to be allowed as a right would be accessory dwelling units. And uh, those actually can work really well on single family parcels, especially bigger ones, because they generally might have some extra room for parking um, for that one extra unit, and you know, pretty, can be pretty hard to tell if there is another unit there, just the way that they can be designed. The reason why we are making some recommendations around higher densities in the general residential five district, um, this sort of goes back to this MBTA requirement. Um, we've done the math and basically, um, if we were to just use the commercial one district and the downtown commercial um, district, we wouldn't have enough 
capacity to meet the requirement. So we do need to include some parcels in the GR5 district, not necessarily all of them, um, and we can get kind of specific if we want in terms of how we end up crafting the final dimensions of that, um, but that was one of the main reasons why we were kind of lumping that district in with the DC and the C1 district um, in order to meet that requirement. And then, do you want to go? And that we do have some Zoom folks after this. Okay. We will go with Zoom. Karen Landers on Union Street. I guess I'm in the pink district, SF4? Yes. So in that district, you can put in an accessory dwelling? So right now, I believe they're allowed by special permit in that district, um, and we're suggesting allowing that by right. Um, so, you know, it would still need to be permitted through the building department, um, but it, you know, theoretically would have to go to the CBA or the planning board for extra approval of that. And that would be just for one family? So um, the way we phrase it right now, it would be on lots that already have a single family on them to create one additional unit. I think, you know, if a property already has two or three units and then you add another one on, that can kind of be getting a little tight. So, you know, properties, and, and you know, the town can set regulations for exactly how far apart it needs to be, how far that unit um, would need to be from the setback, what the minimum lot area would be. So it could still be regulated in the same way that a primary dwelling unit would be, but it kind of just creates a little bit more flexibility. Okay, thank you. Thanks. All right, Zoom. Hey, um, for Bob and Lily, I do see your hands. Because Judith was having technical difficulties, I'm going to start with Judith and then we'll go in the order of the hands. So Judith, I'm asking you to unmute. Thank you very much. I apologize for that. I'm a software engineer. I should <laughs> Anyway, um, a couple of questions. One is, you know, I know that we're supposed to have a certain population density within a half a mile of the train station. And they just constructed this huge apartment complex. Um, does that satisfy that requirement? So the requirement uh, is not for the number of units that have been built. It is specifically for what the capacity would be. So any existing units, it doesn't matter if your district is already fully built out or there's nothing there. It basically just looks at what is the zoning for that area and if you built it out to the maximum capacity, how many units could you get? So, you know, I guess those those are the kind of properties um, and developments that would be allowed, um, you know, depending on what the exact qualifications are. It could be allowed under that zoning, but, um, you know, even the number of units that you have today doesn't really matter. Okay, because I'm just thinking that, you know, with that with that added development, do we even need new construction in this area? Um, that's why I'm asking this. Um, my understanding is that to meet the requirements of this new law, that there has to be a certain number of housing within a half a mile of the train station. 
Exactly, but the way that they have calculated it, it's just based on the number of units that could be built. Um, what has actually been built is not what they are looking at. It's not, it doesn't make the most sense, I'll admit it. Um, and, and I'll just, I'll just um, preface that it's still in draft form, so there might be some final changes that are made, so you know, we're just kind of looking at um, things based on what those draft recommendations are. Because uh, especially this is a fairly new development, I wondered if it was um, built after you guys started looking at the area. So, no, that had been through the process, I think, earlier. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, um, is, you know, I know it looks like people want restaurants and they want a gym and they want all this stuff, um, but parking is so limited. Um, and it, I mean, I, I, you, you were saying that there were three lots that you were talking about. And I guess I'm wondering where these lots are because there's the Rockland Trust lot. There's a tiny lot for um, commuters and a very small you know, adjunct lot up the hill for commuters. And then there's another lot down behind like the restaurant area on um, West, I think it's East Central, sorry. Right opposite, you know, there's that whole group of buildings opposite the Rome restaurant. Uh, but that was filled in with a whole big apartment complex and condo complex back in there. So I don't know, you know, other than the Rockland Trust lot, you know, what, what parking options do you have? in that area, because I, I can't imagine a restaurant is going to do very well. An additional restaurant is going to do very well with the limited parking. In fact, that corner um, store right opposite the Little um, restaurant has changed hands several times because there's just no good parking for it. And I think the cake bar is another one that's now something else. Um, again, because there's just no good parking for it. So I guess I'm wondering, you know, how these these things are going to be decided and handled. Oh. Um, the, the, so I think the three lots that we were referring to, the Ferrara lot, the Depot lot, and then the Rockland Trust, then there was one other. The library a lot, yes, the library a lot. Um, so, postage stamps. <laughs> um, postage stamps. So, I guess you know. I mean, I'm all for diversifying and more restaurants and everything, but the ones that the, the ones that are there can't seem to stay in business. And I'm not sure why. I know restaurants going out of business at a much higher rate than most other business types, but you know, I think a lot of the problem is the parking. So right, right, right. Um, I think part of this piece is wait like how do we wait find and direct people to the existing parking that exists and just making clear where there are availabilities. Um, and I mean, obviously we heard a lot about a 
parking garage in the downtown and that being a potential idea. Um, it's a little bit out of the scope of our work because we're really looking at what we could change from like a policy and zoning standpoint. But, um, you know, I think, I, I, I think there is, there are better ways to utilize the existing parking that exists. Um, and obviously that might require some negotiation with private property owners. Um, but parking is really expensive to build, so if there are ways that we can better utilize it and not add more asphalt, um, I'm sure that would be <laughs> a benefit. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Yes. Yeah. Hi, I'm Rose from Barbara. Um, I have a lot of questions, but I'll make three quick ones. The first one, has there been any consideration to bring the old and non-conforming very dense streets into some kind of zoning plan? I'm, in a matter of curious, like Cottage Court, it's very dense, it's always municipal kerfuffles over how those people are treated by for public services. Second, um, the, the bill that you're proposing, potentially, mm -hmm. you have a sense of what the population of that, how many people would be in Franklin when that happens, 50,000, 80,000? And do we have anywhere near, near enough water for that? That's been an issue for decades here. And lastly, is there a way we can get larger size plans and post samplings and post things? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, we do have a larger plan there, um, and we can make all these materials available by PDF. Um, so the question around the infrastructure, um, we have had um, in-depth conversations with the engineering department and all the DPW staff, and um, they've made clear that there really aren't capacity issues that they're worried about. Um, there are upgrades that will need to be made eventually down the line that are gonna happen whether or not there's more density. Um, just if there's a lot more people that might speed up when some of those things happen. That, that was the understanding that, um, that I got, but they're not particularly concerned. They think that what we're talking about here is, is not something that they're flagging. Um, other question? How many? So again, you know, even if we are theoretically creating the capacity for these 1,800 units, that definitely does not mean that all of them are going to be built out, especially because there's a number of properties that have recently been redeveloped. So um, we are doing some more calculations with the build-out figures um, that we should be able to have available. Um, to my next step slide, but we are going to plan to have a booth at Strawberry Fest where we'll show some more updates um, and additional research that we've pulled. So um, we should have some more kind of realistic numbers there because I think that that capacity number um, is not really indicative of what's actually going to happen. Um, Sasha. Yes, so the next person is Bob. Hi, um, I live in the uh, Chestnut Ridge condos off of uh, East Central, and uh, they've just built a, a large condo apartment complex uh, next to the big Y. Mm -hmm. uh, and following up on Alan's uh, question, uh, I'm curious as to how the intended developments might impact uh, water usage. We never seem to have enough water around here, and, and that complex I think has 104 units. It's bound to tax it even further. 
if, if I understood you correctly, it sounded as though you're saying the DPW isn't worried, but uh, they don't seem to be taking any action yet either. So I'm just curious as to whether you know uh, any specific plans that are going to take place uh, to uh, add to our water capacity. Um, so I do have some more details on that that I can probably pull up. Um, again, I think they recognize that improvements are going to be, need to be made in probably the next like 10 years or so, and the amount of development that happens might speed that up a little bit. Um, they said that I think Franklin, because of the state regulation, um, there are limits on watering, um, and so people, there's the impression that there's not enough water, but that's actually a regulation that is coming from the state um, around that usage. So. My understanding is that DPW is not concerned about water and sewer capacity at this point in time, and you know what we're proposing here is not concerning them. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Next. I'm Leslie McCaffrey, and I just have an issue with parking again. You just said 1,800 units. Um, if you times that by two, that's 3,600 cars. So where are these cars going to park? We want to make this walkable community. And also, what do you envision the capacity of each apartment to be? How many people are you expecting to live in these apartments? So again, 1,800 units is not what needs to be built. That's just purely what the numbers need to say this still could have capacity for, um, which I think is a really important distinction. So. Um, I don't have an exact number right now for you know how many parking spaces we think would need to come out of that. Um, you know, generally, you know there would still be the requirement that each of these buildings include enough parking, um, and then with the shared parking, that's more thinking about how do we use those spaces during the off hours when they're not being used by other businesses. Yes, parking is a serious issue, especially with the new bakery in town. We can't even get a place to park to shop there. Mm -hmm. So those are my concerns. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Thank you. Sure. Sasha? Um, the first building river at the end, which Okay, Lily, you are unmuted. If you're having trouble with your microphone, uh, can you put your question in the chat and I will read it out loud? And again, I'll just note we're not taking any other questions in the chat. This is just to address the technical difficulties. Do we want to just move on to the next person while that comes through? Yes, let's do that. Um, I'll unmute John. Hi, John with the Andrew Surrey Way. Um, I'm just curious as to whether this law that uh, uh, the Baker administration uh, put forth to, um, I guess, uh, promote uh, MBTA ridership from uh, communities along the uh, lines could be satisfied by providing um, shuttle bus transportation to the large. Um, multi-family units that have been built around Franklin. 
we have quite a few uh, condo and apartment developments, some of which have been um, mentioned uh, during the meeting tonight. And I just wonder whether, you know, rather than uh, clogging up the downtown area with uh, additional um, dwellings, uh, whether we could maintain the character of the town a little bit more by using um, shuttle bus services instead. Sure. Um, well, they are, I mean, the regulation definitely requires that at least half the district be within a half a mile. Um, and I don't know if how much flexibility there will be around that. Um, but again, I just want to preface that this is just about the number of potential units that could be created. Um, we are not recommending, you know, 1,800 units be built um, right in downtown. that they integrate um, 
you know, MAPC, the agency suggested, like, is there a way that affordable units could count more so that way you can still meet that capacity requirement, but, you know, get more points if some of those units are affordable. Do you think um, we are made um, to design guidelines that can be for the script? And do you think that the I don't think it would, because it would still be considered by right. Even though we have design guidelines. The BTA thing seems pretty um, you know, clear. Right. I, think, I, I do think they are still allowed. I mean, I know 40R requires by right, and they allow design standards, so. Um, but something to consider. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I just want to note that the microphone is not, um, it's a little hard to hear, it's not, not from your mic, but from the audience mic. Okay, um, so I'm thinking maybe we should take two more questions and then um, transition into the open house portion of the evening. Um, the last slide that I'll show has my email address and has Brian's, uh, Brian Tverner's email address, and so if, if people have any other questions um, and you're not in person and you can't come up and ask us during the open house portion, I would um, suggest that you please email them, whether they're comments or questions, and we can definitely get back to you, and you know, if they're questions that we think other people can really benefit from hearing the answers to, you know, we can publish, um, you know, like a Q&A. So I think let's take one more question in person and then one more um, over Zoom and then we will transition. Some, if people are like, no, this is a terrible idea, this will never work. Um, 
and we'll kind of have more specific action steps on what it actually would take to implement any of these things. Um, generally, I would say all of them, if not most of them, would require um, you know, a city council vote, and there would be kind of a whole public process associated with that. Okay, um, but basically in terms of meeting this section 3A, the only recommendation that would get us there is this, that first one. Um, so, no. Um, so, you know, we sort of analyze different kind of zoning approaches. So the town could just do its own overlay district. It doesn't have to do the 40R. Um, we are recommending the 40R just because it kind of comes with these other incentives. Um, and, you know, it's just a program that has proven that it can work. Like a number of towns have really seen great enhancement that have come from it. Um, but that's not the only way you could do it. So if that seemed like it wasn't flexible enough for Franklin, we could still just create, you know, a local overlay district that would meet those requirements. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks. All right. One of the little I'm going to read out um, the question from Andrew Labels, who is the person who could not unmute. Um, so Andrew Labels, Hancock Road. I'm in favor of mixed use but echo the concerns about project viability due to lack of parking and cost of expanding water system to accommodate increased population. My question is, has there been a cost-benefit analysis? How much will costs increase, school, police, fire, et cetera, compared with increased state funding? Also, the presumption is that people will be riding the commuter rail, uh, but we, will add 1,900 more cars to an already busy town touch this element in the queue. Yeah. Um, so we are looking at all of these things, and I'm hoping that we have some more specific numbers to share um, at the Strawberry Stroll when we have more, when our recommendations are a little bit more finalized. Um, can you just repeat? Yeah. Um, which part? Oh, that's my face. Um, the, um, the, the first part of that question. Uh, yes. Has there been a cost benefit analysis? How much uh, will cost increase compared with increased state funding? Sure. Um, so, haven't done that level of analysis yet. Um, I think one thing that we are thinking about is the kind of infrastructure upgrades that can happen with the new development project, um, because basically you can sort of have a developer take on those costs as they do that project, and that is a way to kind of upgrade infrastructure on kind of a piecemeal basis without the town having to expend those funds. Um, in terms of the costs around school children, I know that you know, most of these buildings are probably gonna be one or two um, bedroom units, and so generally the research has shown that those are not the main drivers of new school-age population. It's really coming from turnover in the single-family homes, um, and there's not really a correlation between increased school population and this kind of um, increased density, just because it's, it's more young professionals, empty nesters, who are utilizing these um, these properties. But I think we can definitely try to get some more specific numbers around what those town expenditures would be. 
Well, I know there are a few more questions, and so if anybody is here in person, you can feel free to come up to me or ask any of the steering committee members questions um, during the open house part of the night. And um, as I mentioned on the last slide, which I'll get to, my email address is there and Brian's email address is there. So if there's anyone online who has an additional question, please feel free to reach out to us in any way that works for you. So we will be refining the draft recommendations based on what we hear tonight. Um, and we're also going to be producing some diagrams that can visualize the kinds of buildings that the ultimate, that the zoning we ultimately propose could enable. We are going to have a booth at the Strawberry Stroll and um, we'll be presenting some of those more final recommendations and some images um, for feedback just to you know, continue engaging. And from there, we will finalize and release publicly um, our final recommendations. And then the actual rezoning process is a whole other thing. <laughs> and that will likely um, begin this fall. And so, you know, that will consist of public meetings to hear from people about what, you know, more specifics they would want to see. And then also the actual um, meetings that would happen with the city council, um, potentially the planning review, however, um, the town decides it wants to implement that. Thank you so much. Here is our project website where we post everything and we will try to get um, the PDF from tonight, uh, from our presentation and also the recording up there, um, hopefully by tomorrow, if not the day after. And again, as I mentioned, if you have any questions, please write down my email address and then I'm happy to touch base with you later. So from here on now, we are going to break into our open house. And so folks who are in the audience, you can feel free to get up and move around. Um, we have different boards which just have descriptions of the, uh, the draft vision statement, different recommendations, and we also have a space for any additional thoughts. There are some post-its and um, pens in the back on the tables, so you can just use that as your landing spot. And for folks who are online, Sasha is gonna help set you up on Jamboard. We've basically set up equivalent boards online that as what exists in person, so you all can participate in the same activity. Um, and uh, we, can, we created three different links so depending on where your last name falls in the alphabet, we're just asking that people split up um, the jailer that they get to just so we can make sure that we don't have any capacity issues because apparently that can happen. Um, so I'm gonna hop off, but Sasha is going to stay on the Zoom and she can help anybody. Um, she will give you those links to the jam board and she will just be there um, to answer any questions that you might have. And if you do have a project specific question that you really want answered, you know, you can flag Sasha and we might be able to liaise. Um, so thank you so much. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. 
If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.